Everyday Choices, the Role of Competing Authorities and Social Institutions in Politics and Development, by Ellen Lust. Published by Cambridge University Press, 2022. Introduction. Conventional state-centric approaches to politics and development often cannot explain political behavior and development outcomes. Consider the following. A Ghanaian bureaucrat, learning that her chief has entered the queue for service, draws him to the front of the line and proceeds to process his papers. A Yemeni policeman, intent on arresting a citizen for a criminal offense, seeks permission from a local sheikh before making the arrest. A Jordanian voter supports a candidate from her tribe, even though she neither likes the candidate nor expects him to win. An American in South Dakota heeds a bishop's call to be vaccinated, but he would not listen to the same call if it was made by either his senator or the head of his state's medical association. At first glance, these are prime examples of corruption, inefficiency, and irrationality. The Ghanaian bureaucrat has violated administrative rules that prescribe equal treatment to citizens, regardless of identity. The Yemeni policeman has wasted precious time and effort to approach the sheikh, whose permission is not technically required before making the arrest. The Jordanian voted neither in her interest nor strategically, casting a ballot for someone she neither likes nor expects to win. And the American listened to his religious leader rather than the politician, who presumably best understands the necessary policy measures, or the physician who has medical expertise. Such choices are not only common, but also demonstrate rational compliance with institutional rules. They are explained by the fact that citizens, public service providers, and even state officials are members of various communities, such as religious orders, family or kinship groups, or ethnic communities, which make claims on them and shape their actions. The Ghanaian bureaucrat is also a tribal member, expected to show deference to her chief. She realizes that failing to do so is both disrespectful and undermines relationships with her tribal community, which often forms the de facto insurance model for millions of Africans. The Yemeni policeman, embedded in a tribal system, recognizes that sheikhs view arrests of their tribal members as a threat to their sovereignty and an affront to their honor. The officer knows that it would be a foolhardy official who imprisoned a man without his sheikh's permission, and thus allows the sheikh to deliver suspects into government custody in order to avoid confrontation. The Jordanian voter sees casting her ballot as a chance to demonstrate allegiance to her kin and help to demonstrate their presence on a national stage, as much as a chance to choose a member of parliament. And the South Dakotan needs to respect the religious leader, whose authority and influence extend far beyond spiritual matters. The political capture, corruption, and clientelism that frustrate analysts and policymakers are often better understood as the winning out of and compliance with social institutions and competing arenas of authority. Indeed, acts frequently understood solely as political behavior or public service provision associated with the state are often also social acts. Those attending to a patient at a public clinic, upholding public order, or engaging in elections are likewise members of religious, geographic, kinship, and other communities associated with arenas of authority and attendant social institutions. These social institutions dictate the roles individuals hold, shape the distribution of power, delineate acceptable behavior, and determine the benefits of compliance and the costs of transgression. They also affect how people make sense of the world. This gives behaviors new meanings, or what Lisa Wedeen calls multiple significations. 
Public service delivery and political engagement are not only a chance to heal the sick, maintain security, or select an official representative, but they are also often opportunities to respond to social obligations, maintain networks that provide social assistance, demonstrate respect for elders, and safeguard social order. Thus, the state and its institutions are not the only, or even always the most important, drivers of the everyday choices that constitute politics and development. The functions typically associated with the state, e.g. the exercise of power leading to the provision of services, security, and community welfare, are in fact not state imperatives, but essentials for any organized community. Moreover, individuals who engage in these efforts are not only citizens, but also members of other communities. As such, they have a shared identity and an interest in enhancing the community welfare and perpetuating its existence. They exist within arenas of authority, that is, spheres of engagement that are characterized by expected allegiances, established authorities, and distributions of power. And within these arenas, individuals' actions are shaped by social institutions, which seek to circumscribe the individual's actions over sets of issues in an attempt to ensure the community's survival. These define roles within the community, the rules of engagement, and rewards that result. The insight that actors and institutions outside the state affect political actions is not new. As early as the 1970s, Peter Eke argued that Africa had two publics, a primordial public in which primordial groupings, ties, and sentiments influence and determine the individual's public behavior, and a civic public, which was historically associated with the colonial administration. James Scott, writing at nearly the same time, turned our attention to how patron-client relationships— or the social exchange relationships between roles, affected elections and parties. Yet these analysts and others that followed them privileged the state as they sought to understand politics and craft development programs. They viewed an effective state as the sine qua non of good governance and development and placed social or non-state actors and institutions in juxtaposition to it. They simply reinforce, complement, or replace state institutions. Indeed, the very existence of influential authorities and institutions outside the state can be evidence of pathology. In the conventional view of an ideal world, non-state authorities and social institutions are not the primary drivers of appropriate political behavior and development.